Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. It's an awesome song. Love the lyrics to that song. And uh, so appropriate. I'm going to invite our students to stand, and we're going to bless you and send you to your classes. And um, it's fun to have you in worship with us. Um, So parents, adults, if you'll join me in this blessing for our students. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Father, we do pray this blessing over our students as they go to their class. We ask, Lord, that you would use this time Uh, Lord, that you would remind them of how pleased you are with them, Uh, that it's through Christ that they have life, it's through Christ that they have strength. Uh, Lord, so bless them, Uh, be with them. Thank you for their leaders and their teachers, Lord. Uh, And for those of us, Lord, who um, uh, who are staying in here, I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, by your power, Uh, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, uh, challenge us, transform us by your spirit, and we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, see you guys. We're continuing in our series, The um, Best Summer Ever, and uh, this morning, <laughs> the title is uh, Willin', and because we did, you know, we're doing like lean in, abide in, and then I got to this one, and I thought, will in, what's that mean? I don't know. Uh, willing, it's just not the same, and so we did willin', um, and actually, I put the apostrophe on the other side, but somebody, any English teachers, you can help us with that one later. It's, too late now. But uh, so we're doing willing uh, this morning uh, because we want to talk about the will of God. And I had this great um, example from the passage that we're going to use this week. I was um, uh, unloading a moving truck, some guys and some people, and, and uh, uh, we were putting it, their stuff in storage. And so, of course, it's 102. And we're unloading the moving truck. And, and later, the, the guy that was, we were doing this for, he was thanking me. Uh, for helping him, and, and I said, uh, I said, you know, actually, the truth is, it's fine, I'm happy to do it. The truth is, though, I, I have to stop myself on a regular basis and remind myself that I'm not 40 anymore, that I'm gonna pay for this tomorrow uh, significantly, and uh, it's gonna hurt because I forget that I'm not 40 anymore. It's just, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. And, and then I was going through the passage for this week, and there's a little phrase in there that Jesus used. It says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, is, and, you know, I should get an amen for that, because the, this, my case, the spirit is willing and the flesh is old, and uh, you, you pay for those things. And we're gonna talk about that this morning, because how, how many times do we forget who we are, and when we forget um, kind of what we're about, and we don't remember, we don't have an appreciation for what's happening around us, or, or kind of where we are in our lives, and we're going to talk about this morning, because the, 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 that the, the disciples had the exact same issue. 
They, they had the same challenges. They had this idea that, that Jesus was going to fix everything. He was going to change everything, that they were going to be, you know, at the top of the food chain, all of the, the, the ills that they'd experienced, all, you know, the slavery, the oppression of the Romans, all of that stuff, that he's going to fix all of that, and, and they're going to be the leaders, and they're going to be his cabinet, and all those kinds of things. And, and they didn't understand this whole idea that the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. They didn't understand what real obedience looked like. And so we're gonna look at a passage this morning that you're really familiar with, and here's what's gonna happen for some of you. Now, I'm gonna start to read this, and, and you, you're gonna look at this and say, gosh, bless Pastor Larry, he really is getting old. This isn't Easter season, Pastor Larry. This is an Easter, this is like a Good Friday thing that you're doing and you're getting, your, you're getting your stuff mixed up now and it's so sad and we feel bad for you. And Okay, so let's get all of that out of the way. I'm doing this on purpose and, and, and what I believe is that the passage we're gonna look at in depth this morning is probably a passage that we should read every single week. It's that important for us. But the prelude to what we're really gonna get after is in... In Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31, here's what it says. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples stacked hands and said, same, same for us, right? They all got in a huddle and they stacked hands and they said, same for us, ready, break. And they were ready to go. The game is on. And what really happened is that they all fled that night and Peter denied Jesus three times. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They, they, were, they were writing checks that they, that they didn't have the money for, uh, that they, they couldn't cash. That they were saying things that they weren't gonna be able to do because they didn't understand what was about to happen. They, 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 they thought there was a different outcome. They thought something different was gonna happen. And so they're saying all the right things, but it wasn't gonna happen because they, they didn't understand, because they didn't have the will, because they didn't have the sense of obedience, they didn't have a big enough picture of what God was doing. And so we get to this story, it's the night that Jesus betrayed. This is the last thing they talk about while they're in the upper room, but while they're in the, at the Last Supper, and now they're gonna go out from there. And we're gonna pick that up right here. Matthew 26. Verses 36 to 41. And then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And take him with him, Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we have this story of the Garden of Gethsemane that that a lot of you feel really familiar with. And and so there's a tendency to say, yeah, that was sort of what happened. That's kind of the prelude to the the cross. But I want you to know that this is where the real battle is going to be fought. And this is where the battle is going to be won. And Jesus takes his disciples to this place uh, right outside of Jerusalem. There's a hill, and it's called the Mount of Olives. It's 2,400 feet above sea level. Um, You climb that hill, but at the foot of the hill is a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an Aramaic word that means olive press. So you got the Mount of Olives and then this garden, it's called the Olive Press, and it's also a campsite. But the Mount of Olives was known as the primary burial place for people from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas is where they would be laid to rest. And so Jesus is taking his disciples to a burial site, a burial place. They're going to this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where probably at some point in history there was a, uh, an olive press there that they made olive oil but they go to this place Jesus takes his disciples uh, he leaves most of them at the very opening of the garden and he takes three with him further into the garden and he says watch and pray with me watch and pray and Peter who's the one that says, if, even if they all fall away, I'll die for you, I'll never fall away, couldn't even stay awake for an hour while Jesus prayed. They, the three disciples with him, they all fall asleep. Jesus comes back. I want you to think about the words of this passage just for a second, though. It says in verse 37, in talking with him, uh, uh, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. That, that as he's leaving, something happens that he staggers. Something hits him that's so powerful, it says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. That something so powerful, something so big has overcome Jesus that he's filled with anxiety, he's filled with sadness, he's filled with trouble about what's about to happen. And then he gets into the garden, and I want you to understand that this is the God of the universe. This is the creator of all things. This is the one who spoke the earth into existence. He spoke the universe into place. He hung the sun, and he hung the moon, and now he gets to the garden, and it says he falls on his face before the Father. He falls on his face in prayer. I mean... Jesus raised a dead person. Jesus took a blind man and he helped him to see. That, that there, now there is something going on that causes Jesus to be so sorrowful and so troubled that he falls on his face and he prays. And what he prays is, Father, if there's any way to take this cup, the cup, the symbol of God's wrath from the Old Testament, the symbol of God's new covenant in the New Testament, He says, if there's any way to take this cup away from me, if there's any other way to do this, if if there's a way not to to go through this, then I'm up for that. But not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. And it wasn't the information 
that was about to happen that overwhelmed Jesus. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. He had already told his disciples at least three times that he was going to be betrayed, that he, he was going to, there would be false charges brought against him, that he would be mocked and beaten, and then he would be crucified. He had already told them. He knew what was happening, but something else is happening now. And what we understand now from the scripture and from history is that Jesus was preparing himself to take on the sins of the world, the sins of the past, the sins of the present, the sins of the future. He was going to swallow hell for our sake, take that on himself, and for the first time and first time in eternity to be separated from God the Father because of our sin, because of our selfishness, because of, of us. He was going to take that on himself and experience that. The Holy God, the Christ, was going to do that for us. And he said, if there's any other way, it wasn't the cross that he said, Let's, can we skip that part? It, it was, it was the, the separation from the Father. It was taking on our sin. But what Jesus said, and it's a picture for us of perfect obedience. Jesus said, not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord, Father. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to be involved. He is, he is saying yes to the Father, knowing full well what it's going to cost him. But still he does it. Still he obeys Still, he lives that out. And while he's doing that, while that interaction is going on, the disciples are falling asleep. There are really two stories this morning that we want to look at. But one story is the life of Jesus because here's, most of us think that Jesus came and he, he died for us, and that's really true. But the other part of this is that Jesus came and showed us how to live. He showed us what it means to do the will of the Father. He showed us what to, it means to be obedient to live that kind of life. Jesus did all of that for us. And then there's the story of the disciples who in spite of all that's going on around them, can't stay awake for an hour to be with Jesus. They, they don't understand all that's going on while they're in the garden. Well, the Gospel of Luke tells us something pretty interesting about this story. The Gospel of Luke tells us that when Jesus came back to the disciples, he is, he is covered with perspiration. And that, that, that he, so much anxiety, so much stress, that, they, that when they saw him, he said he was sweating with like great drops of blood. And some scholars have wanted to say that's sort of a metaphor if you take the, just the intensity uh, and the sweat and that he's in this garden and he's in the dirt and he's falling on his face and it's naturally, it's going to look like blood. But, but there's another piece to this. There's another side of this because there's a physical phenomenon that's called uh, hematridosis. And, and we know from that that in, in, under great emotional stress that the tiny blood vessels in our sweat glands can burst and cause blood to seep up through our sweat glands and, and actually sweat drops of blood. What we know for sure is the kind of trauma, the kind of anxiety, the kind of pain that Jesus was going through knowing what he was about to experience, knowing what it was gonna cost him to be obedient to the Father. He took that cup and here in the garden, he begins to experience God's wrath and God's separation for the first time in eternity. Now, 
there's a, any of you familiar with the ESPY Awards? ESPN does these awards every year. And uh, this year, the recipient of the Jimmy V Perseverance Award is a, a young guy named Rob Mendez. Rob Mendez is just, he's a JV football coach. But we got a picture of Rob here. Rob was born without any arms or legs. And he loves football. And he always wanted to be part of a football team. And he's been a manager, and he's worked his way up to the JV coach. And his team was 7-2 and two last season. And he's getting the Jimmy V Perseverance Award on national TV uh, for what he's accomplished. And people talk to him and they ask him, you know, questions about his life and, and what is it like to, you know, you've got all these healthy kids and they're running and jumping and they're playing football and they've got arms and legs and they can do all of these things. How does that make you feel? And he had such an interesting response to the interviewer. He said, I, I really don't think about that because I've never had arms and legs. I was born without them. I don't know what that's like. I have no sense of what it would be like to have arms and legs. So this is just, this is who I've always been. This is what I know. And it's me. And I was thinking about that because then imagine, uh, imagine that you have experienced all the glory of God, all the glory of heaven. And you have been able to speak to a, a, a dead person and say, rise. And, and you've taken a little girl by the hand who was dead. And, and you've pulled her up. And, and you've seen blind Bartimaeus by the road. And he's called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you did. And you made him see again. And you've done all of those things that you are around for creation. All of those things that we talked about. Imagine you could do all of that. And then you give it all up to be obedient to the Father. You give all of that up. You essentially, go, you essentially come to earth without arms or legs for the sake of somebody else. And frankly, for the sake of a bunch of people who don't appreciate it, who can't even stay awake an hour with you in your hardest, most difficult moment. And yet, that's what you've done. It's such a beautiful picture of who Christ is. The example that we have, what he's done, so this is us. There's an, there's an apocryphal story, so that means it's not in the Bible. So don't ask me where it's found, okay, because I'm not going to tell you. It's not there. But it's a great story that's kind of been passed down through the centuries about the disciples, and they're, they're with Jesus, and, and they're walking with Jesus one day, and, and he stops them along the road, and he says, I want everybody to pick up a rock, and I want you to carry it and follow me. So they're thinking, why, right? Why would I do that? What's in it for me? But they, you know, but it's Jesus, for goodness sake. So they pick up a rock, and, and Peter, well, Peter gets the tiniest little pebble that he can find, and he picks it up, and he slips it into, the, you know, the old toga there, and he starts walking with Jesus. And at noontime, they all stop, and, and Jesus has them sit down. He says, now I want you to take out your rock, and they all take out their rocks, and Jesus blesses them, and they turn into bread, and he says, let's have lunch. Peter has this little miniature donut hole, you know, in his hand that he's carrying around, and he's thinking, I, boy, I called this one wrong. This isn't right. So then Jesus says, after lunch, Jesus says, I want you to pick up a rock, and 
and I want you to follow me. And of course, being Peter, he picks up the biggest, heaviest boulder that he can possibly lift, and he, he works it up to his shoulder. And so for the rest of the afternoon, he's sort of dragging this rock along, following Jesus. And, and, and at the end of the day, the end of the afternoon, at dinner time, they, they come to this pond, and Jesus tells them all to sit down, and he says, now I want you to get out your rocks. And they all sit down, they get out their rocks. He says, now I want you to throw it into the pond and follow me. And Peter's sitting there thinking, wait a minute, this isn't right. I I was supposed to get something out of this deal. I I was being obedient because this was going to be a huge feast for me. I was going to get this great benefit at the end of it, and you're just telling me to throw it in me. And here's what Jesus is trying to help them understand and help us understand is that it's not about what we get out of it. It's about how we obey Christ. It's about how we live our lives that matters. Are we living a life of obedience because of who Jesus is? Or are we living a life of obedience because we think we're gonna get something out of it? We're thinking, okay, Jesus, I've been good this week. You owe me. No, he doesn't. Sorry to break it to you. He's already given us everything that we could ever possibly need. He gave himself for us. And now he calls us to be obedient. And the disciples had to learn that, and we have to learn that, because so often we get derailed because we're not thinking about the moment. We're not thinking about what it means to be obedient to Jesus, but, but we're thinking about what, we, what we're supposed to get if we're obedient to Jesus. What are you supposed to do for us? What's the reward? What's at the end of this for us? And we think short-term, and we get so short-sighted that, that then we forget what it really means to follow Jesus. Peter's frustrated because he thought he knew the system. And he complained to Jesus, and Jesus said, <laughs> Here's the end of this story Peter, who are you carrying that stone for? Were you carrying that stone for me, or were you carrying that stone for you? And when it comes to being obedient to Christ, that's the question, isn't it? Who are you carrying that stone for? Were you carrying it for me? or are you carrying it for yourself? Well, this story in the garden continues in verse 42. Again, for the second time, Jesus went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You see, his prayers changed a little bit here. First, he says, if there's any way this can pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. The second time he prays, okay, okay, father, if this isn't gonna happen, If this can't pass unless I drink it, then I'm gonna do your will. I'm gonna stay faithful to you. I'm gonna be obedient to you. In verse 43, and again he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for a third time, saying the same words, the same prayer to the Father. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep um, and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, your betrayer is at hand, and we understand that that's the time that the soldiers came. Judas came to betray Jesus. It all started. Everything was moving fast then to the cross. And one of the key themes in the Gospel of Matthew that we get through this whole time uh, in the conclusion of the account in the Gethsemane and through the cross is that God is in control of all events, however tragic they may seem to others. And Jesus, the Son of God who is suffering and dying, has a bigger purpose. 
His death is humili- hum- humiliating, but it's voluntary. It's an act of obedience and fulfilling God's will. And it's God's will for us. And the disciples, they didn't go wrong when they pledged their loyalty to Christ. They got in trouble because they didn't know their own hearts. They didn't know what they were pledging to Christ for. They didn't understand how weak they were. None of the disciples guessed that the real test of their souls wouldn't come when the soldiers came, but it was going to come in the garden when Jesus asked them to wait. That you see, Jesus won the battle for the cross in the garden when he said, Father, if there's any way to take this cup, but not my will, but your will be done. That then we read the rest of the narrative and Jesus was set and his mind and his heart was set on what God had called him to do. The disciples didn't understand this. And the test for them didn't come when the the soldiers arrived. When the soldiers got there, they weren't ready. And they all fled because they hadn't stayed awake. They hadn't stayed alert with Jesus. Jesus took the cup knowing what was in it. And Jesus did two things. He showed us two things that day. He showed us two commands of the Father. And the first is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That Jesus' love for the Father superseded everything else. His commitment to the Father and to do God's will superseded everything else that was going on. And the second thing that Jesus did was he loved his neighbors himself, that he loved us, that it was his love for us that took him to the cross. It was his love for us that caused him to be obedient to the point of death, his, his, to, the, to take that sorrow, uh, to take the humiliation, to take everything that was happening, to give it all to the Father in the garden. His love for us caused him to do that. For our sake, he endured the cross. For our sake, he made that decision in the garden to be faithful, to do God's will and not his will. He took the cup knowing what was gonna happen. And Jesus asked the disciples to do one thing, right? He asked the disciples to do one thing and that was to stay awake. That's all. And they can't do it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body is weak. The mistake that we so often make is say, I want to love Jesus more, or we say, I want to do better, I want to make better decisions, I want to be a better Christian, and then we fail again because we fail to stay awake. Obedience and doing God's will isn't what we typically think. You see, we get confused, and we talk about this periodically, and I talk about this all the time with young couples that we're preparing for weddings, uh, because love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. And so you don't wake up every morning of, of your married life singing, you know, I am so in love, and you're seeing stars, and you're hearing music in the background. But every morning of your life, you wake up saying, I'm going to choose to love my spouse. And every morning of our lives, we don't necessarily feel like being obedient to God, but we choose to be obedient to God. We choose to do his will. We choose to commit ourselves to him. Emotions always follow. But if you're here this morning and you're living your life based on how you feel in the moment, then you're heading for tragedy. You're hedging for confusion and anger and resentment because love is an act of the will and we choose how to love God. 
we choose how to love Christ every day. Here's another thing. I, I, um, I met a guy a few weeks ago, and I found out that he was a, the sponsor for a friend of mine who's in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. So he, this man and I were having this conversation, and what a good guy. And I, I asked him, I said, well, tell me a little bit about your journey. And he said, well, Pastor Larry, I haven't, I haven't had a drink in 33 years. I'm an alcoholic, but I haven't had a drink in 33 years. He said, but I, I go to an AA meeting three times a week, still, after 33 years. You see, there's no clause in this thing that says after 25 years, you're fixed, and you're not an addict anymore, you're not an alcoholic anymore, and, and there's no thing that says that 30 years, you're healed, and you don't have to do this anymore, that, that you're whole, and you can kind of get on with your life, but he is always going to be an alcoholic. And so for 33 years, he's gone to three meetings a week because he needs people in his life to say, how you doing today? What's your life like today? How's your stress level today? What's, what are you thinking about today? And he needs that in his life, and he knows it, and for 33 years, he's been sober because of that. And now he's the sponsor of, uh, for a young guy that I think is just an amazing young person. And he's going to be good for him because he's going to remind him all the time to stay awake, to stay diligent, to focus on that, on today, to be sober today. For us, it's to love Christ today. It's to make that decision today to be obedient to him, to follow him. That's what he wants our lives. That's what he, to look like. That's what he's asking of us. There was a survey in 2011, uh, Psychology Today, um, sponsored a survey called uh, Stress in America. Stress in America survey. And some of you are wondering, why didn't they talk to me? Um, but here's what, uh, in this thing, uh, in the survey, respondents reported that a lack of willpower was the most significant barrier to change in their lives. Lack of willpower. And, and they identified willpower um, as, uh, you know, the reason for making bad choices, um, but it was clear that they hadn't given up because there's something about us that always thinks I can make better choices, I can fix this, I can do this. Uh, but here's what they talked about when it came to, uh, to willpower. Uh, that willpower, or you could call it self-control, or you can call it self-discipline, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's the ability to delay gratification, the ability to delay gratification, uh, resisting short-term temptations to meet long-term goals, resisting short-term temptations to reach long-term goals, uh, the capacity to override an unwanted thought, feeling, or impulse. Did you get that? The capacity to override bad thinking, uh, unwanted thoughts, or feelings, or impulses. And the other thing that they said is that it's a limited resource that can be depleted, that you can run out of it, uh, that it can go away, that you can lose, you can lose your willpower. But here's the one thing that the, the survey didn't take into account, and that is Galatians 5, we are taught that there, there is a fruit of the Spirit, that when the Spirit of Christ lives in us, when the resurrected Spirit of Jesus resides in us, lives in us, there is something called the fruit of the Spirit that grows in us, and part of that fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and it never runs out. 
The question is, how do we tap it? The question is, how do we get a hold of that in our lives? But it won't run out. It doesn't deplete. It's there for us. It's living in us. It's growing in us. It's Christ transforming us. It's there. But so often, we don't, we don't pay attention to it. We're not awake to the fact that the resurrection spirit of God lives in us and fills us and transforms us. And what it asks of us is, are you staying awake? Are you paying attention? Do you realize what you have in you? It can't be depleted. It's not going to run out on you. It's the most important part of willpower. But here's what's required. When Jesus was going to the cross, Jesus knew that it wasn't about the cross, but it was about salvation for us. It was about eternal life for us, that where Jesus was going, what Jesus was heading for, was so big and so powerful and so important that it overrode every other thing, every other emotion, every other fact in his life, because the goal was so big and so critical that it says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, because he knew what was at stake. He knew what was out there ultimately for us. And here's what we have this morning that we know that, that, that what God has offered us, it's not just eternity, but he's offered us eternity with him. He's offered us heaven with him, but it's not just that. He's offered us a life, a life that's bigger than we could ever imagine. He's offered us a life that's filled with his spirit that transforms us, that changes us, that gives us wholeness and gives us peace and gives us joy and all of those things. He's offered us that, and if we keep that in mind, if we keep that in front of us, that that's what this life is about, that's what God has promised us. It changes everything for us. When we live our lives thinking about, okay, what am I going to get next if I, if I kind of do this for God? What am I going to get out of it? Then, then we miss the big picture. We miss what God's really offering us. It's a life that's bigger than we ever dreamed, more significant than we could ever imagine. Now, and we forget that, you know, like our friend that goes to three AA meetings a week, you know, I... I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I'm always going to be a sinner saved by grace. And I have to be reminded every single day that, Larry, you're not perfect yet. You haven't arrived yet. You're a sinner saved by grace. And I need that recognition every single day of my life, and we all do. But here's the other thing that I remember, is that greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. That the Christ I serve the spirit that lives in me is greater than that. And I'm a sinner saved by grace, but it's by the grace of Christ that I live my life. It's by his strength that I experience all of those things. He gives that to us. He gives us the wholeness. So here's the question for you this morning. How do you stay awake? How do you stay awake? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the example of Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for showing us how to live, showing us what it means to be obedient, showing us what it means to stay awake, to stay focused on what really matters in our lives and in the world. So Lord, we just simply ask that you would nudge us this morning, that if we need to be awake, Lord, maybe it takes a big poke, but you would, you would jab us in the ribs and say, wake up. See what I'm doing. See who I am in your life. See what I'm offering you through my spirit. 
and that, Lord, we would be willing and joyful partakers in your spirit and in your love for us. So, Lord, we thank you for that, and we receive that this morning. It's because of Jesus, and it's because of the power of the Spirit of Christ that lives in us, and we give you thanks and praise for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So I don't want any of you to leave today and mad at me because I didn't tell you what God's will for your life was. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to help you out here. You want to know God's will for your life? Here's where you start. The great commandment says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. So if you want to know God's will for your life, it starts right there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and love one another as I have loved you. And if you can do that, if you can focus on that, if you can stay awake to that, then the rest of this God's will is going to come together for you. You'll, you'll not miss it. But it starts right there. Here's the other thing. Last thing. For 43 years, I've had a, uh, I've, I've had a traveling partner. I've had a road trip partner uh, in my wife. And uh, about every 30 minutes when we drive, she asks me one question. Are you sleepy? Are you staying awake? Because she knows me, and she knows that, that I'm a little bit maybe competitive and a little strong-willed, and that I would wake up in a ditch somewhere if I wasn't paying attention. And so she asked me, are you, she, are you, are you sleepy? Are you awake? Are you okay? And, and, and I get that question about every half hour on a, on a road trip so I don't fall asleep. And so here's the question that I want to leave you with this morning is who is asking you that question? Who's asking you this morning, are you awake? Are you paying attention? Are your eyes set on Christ? Are, are you looking to him? Or have you fallen asleep somewhere along the way? We all need people in our lives to ask us that question. We'll have prayer partners at the corner. If you'd like prayer this morning, please stop by there in our prayer table. Uh, ready and waiting for you to write your prayer request down. We'll pray for you during the week. My prayer is simply that God will call us to stay awake, to give him our attention. I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.